In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so... You know how, like, when you get a salad, right? You get a salad, and then you get the dressing on the side so you can feel healthy when the truth is that you're just going to put the dressing on a little bit bite by bite, and then by the end of your salad, you've already used all the dressing that was on the side. That's what this podcast is. This is the dressing on the side of The Daily Show. I'm Roy Wood Jr. This is Beyond the Scenes, where we go beyond the topics and the discussions that we have on The Daily Show, I sit down with correspondents, producers, writers, anybody that had anything to do with the piece happening, we talk to them on this show. And you enjoy it, and it is as delicious as The Daily Show because it's on the side. You see, when it's on the side, it feels healthier, baby. It feel, right now, you're getting a couple extra calories just listening to me. What the hell am I talking about? You don't care. Uh, the piece we're going to go beyond on this week um, is the O'Reilly factor getting racist in Chinatown. This is when uh, Ronnie Chang responded to some racist-ass shit that was on Fox News. Uh, if you didn't see the original segment, Jesse Waters from Fox News, this is during the 2016 election, and Trump was talking China this, China that, and he went down to Chinatown to do what was supposed to be quote-unquote journalism and having a real discussion with Asian people, but really what he was doing was exploiting people who did not speak English and then going around town, partaking in all of the different stuff that basically just highlighted a bunch of Asian stereotypes. He got a foot massage. He played with some nunchucks. He played kung fu fighting. And my man Ronnie Chang caught wind of this shit and he clapped back in a major way. Am I supposed to bow oh. to say hello? Leho, <laughs> I like these watches. Are they hot? JC Penny, 398. <laughs> Who are you going to vote for? Clinton's wife. Clinton's wife has a name. What is it? Uh, old man. <laughs> I'd forget it. Uh, Snap out of it. Do you know karate? Yeah, I know. Hit my hand. That's the spot. Is it the year of the dragon? Rabbit? No, it's actually the year of go f yourself. <laughs> what the hell was that? How was that on the news? In fact, how was that even on TV? Where the f did this come from? I mean, everyone's been wondering who'd be the target of 2016's worst racism. I didn't even know Asians were in the running. Okay, so we're going to discuss the rise of anti-Asian hate in this country, where it came from, what we can do to stop it. And a little later in the program, we're going to be joined by Norman Chin, the CEO and co-founder of Leading Asian Americans Unite for Change. 
But first, it is my pleasure to go beyond the scenes with my office mate. He is my friend. He is, you're my day one, man. You're, you're my day one from my first day at The Daily Show. You were right there. I think I beat you to the you're building by too. five minutes, which makes yep. me the senior correspondent <laughs> because I beat you to the building by five minutes on our first day. Uh, Ronnie, you did this piece. This is Ronnie Chang, by the way, Daily Show correspondent extraordinaire, Ronnie Chang. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for talking about this, man. And you're my day one, too. You and I are good friends, and we talk a lot in our office like we we actually discussed at one one moment doing a podcast together of just us rambling and shit just our rambles but i think we both decided that we talk about a lot of stuff that should remain off the record uh yeah but i, I think, think you you, you didn't even say we should talk about it you said you wanted to install cameras and just keep it on record and then cut clips about what was yeah <laughs> cut I, clips. I, I, I was like big i don't want to do that <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to Big Brother our office, just a live yeah. stream of Roy and Ronnie just solving every problem, which, speaking of solving problems, Ronnie... It's going to be a lot of you eating Subway sandwich. That's what it's going to be. Hey, we will discuss Subway tuna later, okay? They said it's tuna. They just don't know which kind of tuna. That's good. <laughs> We're getting off subject. Ronnie, in 2016, why did you fail to solve Asian racism anti-asian sentiment why did you fail it was a bait and switch i thought we solved it um i thought racism was over after that video and then you know they 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 did a pump fake and then they went the other way and it came back they came back hard they they, racism came back and went hard to the rim you know what i mean (laughs) racism (laughs) like broke the backboard (laughs) anti-asian racism it was down oh two like the milwaukee bucks yeah, <laughs> and gave himself a lot. And it came back speech. hard. They came back so hard. Yeah, we joke a lot on the show, but this was a piece that you know it was what we call in in the Daily Show offices a quick turn. This is where the news breaks, and rather than go through a formal booking, they get like no. Ronnie was like, "Yo, where's the camera? I'm going to Chinatown." Just for the people who don't know who've missed a piece, give me the backstory on what lit this fire so fast from the time. From the time this piece aired on Fox News, I think our response aired maybe 36 hours later, if that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So uh, once things hit the zeitgeist in American news, then it starts to enter the building a bit. And this, this, the the underlying story, which was the Fox News story, was actually causing so much grief in America that it hit the pop culture zeitgeist, and then that entered the building which it, i mean to be fair it already entered the building the day before but it started building overnight to the point where the daily show had to address it we decided to go to chinatown to get the response of people from that neighborhood who were interviewed the same neighborhood that was interviewed in the fox news segment and um we went down and i was worried that uh, because in singapore and malaysia people get really apathetic about politics and they're very hesitant to be on screen and they're very hesitant to be on screen talking about politics. So I didn't know if that would be the same thing we would face in New York City, Chinatown. But what we found, the entire Daily Show team found was that it was the exact opposite. Because as soon as we got to New York City, Chinatown, people, literally as soon as we got out of the car and I was dressed in the suit, and they, they, as soon as they saw me, they're like, hey, are you here to talk about that thing that happened yesterday? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, 
come over here. And then they, they brought us to the place in Chinatown. People lined up around the block to talk to us. To talk they to lined you. up. So it was like, that doesn't I didn't happen to, normally. Yeah. It, 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 people don't normally line up to talk to us. So <laughs> I literally, I was just standing there as people came one after the other to come and, and bitch about what happened yesterday. What are your thoughts on the Jesse Waters video on Fox News? The chicken reporter who came down here and thought he was big because he talked to people who couldn't speak English. Yeah, that douchebag piece of The one with no testicles, the one who came down here who said, uh, let me talk to some old people and let me totally. let me put them on camera without asking them and yep. sort of put them on national television and made fun of them in the worst possible way, that asshole. Okay, I think we're talking about the same guy. Right, right, right. What was the question again? I can't even remember. The whole idea behind the piece was that, and this came from Trevor, was the idea that just because people aren't speaking your language, whatever your language is, doesn't mean they don't have sophisticated thoughts on politics and the way the country should be run. So Correct. that was the idea we were doing in Chinatown, which was trying to get their opinions. And in many cases, we, may, we kind of asked them to speak Chinese or Cantonese just to make the point that you can have sophisticated mm. thoughts. Uh, in languages other than English. And so, um, yeah, the response was, you know, it, it, it required almost no effort on our part. Uh, the streets, the streets did the talking on that one. You're more Zen dude than me. <laughs> but the thing that I found most interesting about this piece for you was the lack of anger from you as a correspondent. That's the thing I'm always suppressing. Like, dude, when I'm out, like, like when we did, the Republican National Convention 2016, and we did the piece, When Was America Great? And I'm having to look at people, look me in my black ass eyes and tell me America was great during slavery. And I'm trying not to read. So when you went down to Chinatown on a piece as as an Asian, was this personal? Was was this a more personal piece for you? Yeah, like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it felt like a direct personal attack by the same time you know at the daily show you know the drill man it's like what like in the emergency room it's like we see so much crap every day that you to, in order to operate professionally you you become kind of desensitized and you're just That's here to treat analogy. the patients and so we just keep seeing car crashes every single day eventually you're like oh yeah <laughs> like you you have an objective view of it and also i was pretty pissed going back to the studio uh, and I remember we brought the footage back and this is again speaks to the team at The Daily Show is that we we went out to shoot Went back edited whatever we shot wrote the the desk piece and on the same night, right? And we we recorded the same night like you and you know field pieces are usually separate to desk pieces but this was like the perfect merging of chat with Trevor and yeah. a desk piece and a and a field element and man on the street all in one day. I mean, that's the, that, you know, for me, and that was, this is early on in my daily show. I was maybe one year in and I was like, man, this is the daily show is best. You know, everything, everyone's operating and firing on all cylinders in a very short time frame. Um, and, and sorry to answer your question about not being pissed off. I mean, part of it is the job and part of it is, I, I always feel like, because I'm a first generation immigrant to America. So, I'm in America because I, by choice, like I want to be there. And um, so when I see shit go down, I see like, I also see in, in this particular instance, yeah, you can say, you know, blatant racism, but the silver lining to this whole story was that everyone got angry by this Fox New piece, not just Asian people, not just Chinatown, New York City people, the entire country was like, yo, this, this sucks. And that's why it entered the Zed guys, right? Because if 
if most people thought it was okay, it would never have, you know, blown up to the point where, you know, at, at that time, it, people were pretty upset, you know, everyone, white people were upset. Every race was pretty upset about this. So if you ask me why I'm not more upset, it's because, oh, it, it was a cause that everyone already, you know, most people were upset by the issue already. And we were just giving them a platform to express it, you know? Who was the target audience for this? Was it, or I guess, who were you aiming this piece towards in a way? Like, was it was it at the reporter that went out and did it? I, you know, his name is Jesse Waters. I personally think we should bleep his name. Just bleep his name. Is it at the reporter who went out and said this ignorant shit, even though he kind of sort of apologized after the fact? Is it the right-wingy Fox News type media outlets that push this narrative or was it at the people that actually thought that what he did was real journalism and informative yeah i mean it it was i think honestly it uh man uh it was for whoever wanted to listen to it but also i think asian people in america uh they they never had a way to critique the media like that i think the history of Asian American storytelling in America. There's there's been no one in the media to critique media portrayals of them on a big enough platform. So honestly, it was almost to put a flag in the sand and be like, oh, you know, it, this this kind of stuff isn't acceptable anymore. You know, and it was a sentiment I felt there was already in America. And yeah, I I kind of symbolically put the flag in like this is the moment. But uh, and I was lucky to be happened to be in a position to do it right because we wanted to show that criticizes news and media. That's what our show essentially is, right? And so um, mm -hmm. I happen to be on the perfect platform to do it. But like I said, I think most people in America didn't think it was okay even at the time. No, not in the least. I, the thing that's so interesting about this country though is that every minority group is dealing with their own racism too. So then when you find out about the new racism it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll be right there in a second. I'm currently getting beaten the head by a cop. I'll be right there as soon as I finish dealing with my own traumas. And it's, it's very difficult, and I think it's very dope that so many people were willing to speak out, which brings me to 2020, as a matter of fact. Now, we already know the role that Trump played in stirring the pot from 2016 up until COVID, but at COVID, I feel like that's when the pot went from medium to hot for, well, from hot to hotter for anti-Asian yeah. uh, American sentiment. You know, there was a 150% spike in uh, anti-Asian crime in 2020. And then also, you know, everything that started with COVID and it's starting in China. And then Trump driving the narrative of, oh, it's the, the you know what he said about it. The, the, I'm not going to even repeat what they called the, the coronavirus at the time or whatever, but the China virus, is I, that one I can say. I'm not going to say the other one, but it really, you can say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say the case. It's so word. weird that we have to tiptoe around quoting the president in case we say a slur. We, we can't directly quote stir the ex-president. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you insert slur here. Just whatever you yeah. think he said, he said it. Like, do you think, like, how much of that contributed to the uptick in violence 
uh, in 2020. Man. The bigger question, the bigger question, do you think that, like, do you think that, like, Fox News and Trump were following their base? What Were they just giving the people what they want when it turn, in terms of stirring up racism? Or were they leading them to this and then creating racism? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the go-to moves in the playbook is to blame people who look different to them, right? That's one of the go-to um, fascist moves, I guess. Um, so I think that was the easy, you know, when, when bad stuff happens anywhere, I mean, let's just say in America, then people look for someone to blame, right? And so I think putting it on a whole race of people is a way to direct their anger. I think it, it's also weird in America that they, they like people, I, I think Asian people were kind of under the radar a bit until this thing happened and then now it became, it kind of gave people an excuse to like go after Asian people if you're having trouble. Yeah, um, like, oh and, yeah, and, them. But I will say in, in, in America, I think what's interesting about being Asian in America is that you're kind of always, you know, the idea of being a perpetual foreigner in America, like Asian Americans aren't usually, like they're always seen as having to like answer for stuff that happened in Asia or, you know, like you're, everyone's always putting stuff that happened to Asia on Asian Americans when they're very separate cultures. Like a lot of Asian Americans haven't, left America before. They were like born and raised and they never left, you know? And so Correct. it's almost like, quite frankly, like African-Americans being asked about stuff that happens in Africa or like Anglo-Americans being asked about stuff in the UK, you know, like what happened in, what's going on with Brexit, you know? Like most people don't know what's happening. A lot of these Asian-Americans <laughs> are just Asian-American culture. But I guess my point is that that's, that's, the, that's the way I kind of describe uh, the perpetual foreigner thing is that you're, you're always being asked about stuff over there and it's like you got nothing to most most Asian Americans have nothing to do with the stuff over there you know the thing for me with 2020 when when the uptick happened when the 150% jump in anti-Asian yeah. sentiment and the crime started happening especially in the New York area um, yeah. you know it was people of all races perpetuating these crimes but there was also a lot of videos where sometimes it was a black person attacking an Asian person. And so as a black person out and walking around, I'm like, okay, how do I carry myself to make sure that the Asians know that I'm safe and that I'm not here to punch? I will, get, and it, it, I'm being silly, but there is this idea and it's no different than at night when you're, you, you live in a city, you're, there's a woman five, six steps ahead of you on the sidewalk, right? I'm not trying to creep you out. I know I'm a big dude. So to keep us both comfortable, I'm going to slow down my step a little bit, give you 10 feet. So that You know what I mean? Like just being conscious of making sure that everybody has a little bit of space and that everybody's comfortable. That was problem one. Problem two was, for me, because there were two doormen that got fired in New York City for not helping an Asian woman who was being attacked on the sidewalk. And my thought was, wow, okay, if if that happened, what would I do, me, Roy? And in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm going to help. I have to break that up. But then there was also a piece of me in my head going, okay, when the police come, 
what are you going to do to make it look like oh. you're not the one attacking the Asian? And I'm like, fuck. Wow. <laughs> okay. I've got to call the police on myself and let them know that I'm cool. Set my phone up, set up the IG live stream, <laughs> then go ahead. Like, like I'm being a little fanatical on that side, but there were all of these levels in my head of how could I help but also remain safe for police and people that are pulling up with even less information than I have, you know, when I circled the corner. But that's 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 an interesting yeah. thing. We could probably explore. Matter of fact, I'm a I'm gonna pose that question to our guests. After the break, we're gonna be joined by the wonderful, wonderful Norman Chen. He is the CEO and co-founder of Leading Asian American Unite for Change. Uh, we'll have him on in a second. This is Beyond the Scenes. Are you enjoying going beyond the scenes with me, Ronnie? I'm loving it. It's the best. I love it. It's too late. It took you too long to answer. <laughs> no, no, that was the lag. That was the Zoom lag. It's too late. It's too late. The commercials are starting. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We're joined now by someone who I trust more than Ronnie Chang. You know, I'm not saying that Ronnie Chang hasn't done the work, but last I checked, Ronnie Chang wasn't the CEO and co-founder of Launch. Are you CEO and co-founder of Launch, Ronnie Chang? No, I unfortunately, I, I was, I was reading out the story. Like hidden figures. <laughs> Launches leading Asian American Unite for Change. His name is Norman Chin. Norman, thank you for joining us on Beyond the Scenes. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right back into this discussion. We've talked about Ronnie's piece and everything that went down in Chinatown with Fox News, but I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit more about where we are today with regards to anti-Asian sentiment. I wanted to talk to you for a second about the status index and ways that we're able to quantify what's going on. Because the thing that we deal with, no matter what minority group you are, you're told that you're, whatever it is you're dealing with ain't real. 
It's mm. not real. Well, everybody, of course, robbery's up. It's a pandemic. Everybody's unemployed. Like, no, man, I'm telling you, they're attacking mm. us. So how were you all able to assess attitudes and stereotypes towards Asians over there with the status report? Thanks. Thanks, Roy. Um, no, exactly to your point. Uh, these stereotypes and perceptions have been prevalent in American society for decades and actually are at the root cause of hate crimes. If you find uh, and you look at research about hate crimes, they stem, just as Ronnie was saying, from stereotypes initially that then lead to scapegoating and then lead to violence during difficult times. And crisis, this is like COVID, are a once in a lifetime, hopefully. So we're seeing a, a rep repetition of the cycle of stereotypes leading to, to scapegoating, leading to violence. So uh, as a new nonprofit last year, we were formed uh, in 2020. We were looking for existing research on um, stereotypes of Asian Americans. And shockingly, the last study that had been done comprehensively was 20 years ago when there are half as many Asian Americans in the country. And so we yeah. thought that's just a glaring uh, need. There's a glaring need to do more research about stereotypes. And so we commissioned the status index study, which was really checking on how Americans now perceive Asian Americans. And unlike most other Asian American research that's out there, we interviewed all Americans. So not just Asian Americans about their experience, but also other racial groups. So it was, it was quite groundbreaking uh, this year. How safe or how unsafe, rather, would you say um, Asians feel in America right now? And Ronnie, I'll throw this to you first. Just in general, during this time from 2020 till now, is your head on a swivel more than it was, say, in 2015? I think uh, depends on the state. I think in, in Hawaii, it was... <laughs> We, it was that's like, such a great answer. <laughs> well, it, um, I mean, that's like a lot of America, right? It depends on the state, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I, I will say in, when I went back to New York City at the peak of the pandemic and all the crimes were happening, I definitely was, you know, it's, you know, that's and that's the thing, right? The Internet versus real life. Real life definitely felt different to my Instagram feed in terms of the amount of violence that was happening on my Instagram feed. So real life felt way way safer than compared to Instagram. But because of Instagram, man, my, my head was definitely on a, on a swivel. The entire time in New York City, you know, I'm, I'm looking behind my back. I'm not walking down, you know, streets I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm sprinting. Are you making sure the black guy <laughs> behind you is at least 10 feet and not six no, feet? No, I don't racially profile. Uh, I go, I do my comedy shows. Uh, I run from show to show, make sure if someone's attacking me, it's because of my jokes, not because of my race. Um, and uh, I, I have, my, have my phone by my side. Uh, so it, basically, it's like living in New York City, but more. <laughs> it's what we should have been doing over the last five years. But um, this just kind of made me more aware. And, and, and not just for myself, but for other people as well. If I see like an old Asian person on the street, I'm always like, okay, well, you know, it's my job to, to it's my job to make sure she's okay for the length of time which she's in my field of vision. Uh, and then I pass her off to the next Asian bystander who's, who's walking in a separate direction. So yeah, it's worth looking out for other people too, you know? When we see these videos, by the way, Norm, I don't know what you feel, and Roy, I mean, I don't know how you feel. When we see these videos happening to elderly Asian people, one, I'm, one even, I'm, I'm not even worried about, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm not thinking what if that happens to me. I'm thinking 
man, that looks like someone, that looks like my relative. That looks like my grandma, like my aunt, my grand aunt. Like I'm worried about them more than I'm worried about me. For sure. You know, when I see these videos, it's not like I, I don't start fearing for my life. I, I'm like, man, what, what if there's another? Because the, the people being attacked aren't the Asian MMA fighters. You know, those aren't the people, those aren't the videos we're seeing, you know, we're, we're seeing the people who can't really defend themselves. <laughs> to that point, when we talk about stereotypes, Norman, just in general, and just we know how much pop culture delves in that and bathes in that, you know, for a number of minorities. But it seems like it's even more unique and even worse in a way for Asians, because like some of the stereotypes will also they'll even take something positive and just, oh, you do your mm. homework. Oh, you're good at math. Like, shouldn't we all be good at math? Like, even when you take Ronnie's film, Crazy Rich Asians, which did, I would assume, amazing things for helping to debunk some stereotypes. People will turn around and see three well-dressed Asians walking down the street and just go, look at them rich-ass Asians. Norman, how much does pop culture play a role in that? And have you seen any improvements in any regard that would help you believe that the tide is turning and how Asians are at least portrayed uh, in entertainment? You know, Ron, that was one of the key areas of our research was about how Asians are perceived in the media and TV and movies, because that's a key source of information for many communities about Asian Americans. A lot of the communities don't have Asian American friends, and so they look to movies. And the question that you may have heard of uh, that got a lot of press was we asked people to name a prominent Asian American and 42% of Americans could not name a single prominent Asian American. And the number two and three answers they gave were all martial artists. Number two was Jackie Chan, who we love, but who is actually not American. He's from Hong Kong. And number three mm -hmm. was Bruce Lee, who's also you know a martial artist, but, but has been, been dead, dead for a while. 50 years. So, uh, and you look at the roles people see Asian Americans in, the men are the gangsters, they're the nerds, the technicians, the women are the masseuse workers, they're the, um, the, so the, wait, the waitress. Every character in rush know, hour. The, exactly, <laughs> all the stereotypical roles. So a lot of those stereotypes still persist. You know, our research was important because no one again had done this research for 20 years. So we reestablished, we quantified a baseline. This is where things are. It's not good, but at least we know where we are. Hopefully over the next one year, three year, five year, 10 years, it won't be 42% of Americans who still can't name a freaking prominent Asian American. So we're hoping to track progress over time. But, but to your point, yes, a lot of these stereotypes still exist. The fact that Ronnie and others were able to show Asians in a positive light, right, as being successful and as being, um, frankly, uh, physically attractive, right? When's the last time we saw an Asian-American male take his shirt off in a movie? Well, we had a lot of that in uh, Crazy Rich Asians, and a lot of the Asian-American men in the country were, were celebrating that, and a lot of Asian-American women as well. Hubba, hubba. <laughs> there are definitely trends and positive signs, and I think a lot more movies and TV shows are coming out, uh, which is really encouraging. But this this brings me back, you know, that I, and and that makes me think about the overall solution to everything we're talking about. And there is no one thing, you know. I think in America we always mm. want this, like we want the app that fixes everything. We want the GoFundMe that will end racism. Mm. You know, we want that one home run solution and like these are complicated social problems multifactorial issues you know that require attacking from different places so yeah one aspect of the attack is 
you know, Pierre Pang, Henry Golding taking their shirt off in Crazy Rich Asians. That, that moves the needle a little bit. I won't, uh, you know, I, I, it, it doesn't solve everything, but it definitely helps a little bit. And some of it is where the funding is going, or the on the, on the streets actual help. Some of it is legislation. Some of it is, you know, um, messaging. So, so like, uh, all this stuff plays into it. And that's why the, having the data helps because it helps us understand where we can attack. It also helps prove that there is an issue. You know, yeah, no, one of the questions we asked our respondents is how would you address these problems about anti-Asian American sentiment and stereotypes in the U.S.? And the answers were exactly what, what, what you mentioned in terms of awareness, in terms of uh, legislation, in terms of uh, solidarity, in terms of um, more media attention. The other key solution is education. And I wanted to touch upon that. You know, when we grew up, very few of us had the opportunity to learn about Asian American history in, in classrooms in the US. And now, as you know, recently, Illinois mandated the teaching of Asian American history in public schools, which is a huge milestone. And other states are moving in that direction. And so clearly, more Asian American history knowledge is important. These are cycles. There, there were lynchings in 1871 of Asian Americans in LA. People, no one knows about that. A lot of people don't even know about the Japanese internment during World War II. And so to make this information more accessible to young kids who are really the key to address before they become racist adults, uh, we're working with a group called the Asian American Education Project to provide a graphic novel overview of the highlights of Asian American history. So think about it, you're a fourth grade, fifth grade kid, you don't wanna learn even about your own history. How do you make Asian American history interesting and accessible? And we're working with an award-winning comic book writer to create an overview of it that hits all the highlights nice. of Asian American history to, so that schools and teachers and students can get this information in a very accessible way. We can share it digitally as well. These are the things we're trying to do to really have an impact to create more education but to, to Ronnie's point, it's it's a it's a movement that needs to happen. And we're starting to get organized, starting to have resources, but there's a ton of work to do in many different areas. In many different yeah. areas. Many different areas. If anyone listening to this, if there's anything to take away from anything we're saying is go find the people who are doing things. Cause there's a ton of people who care and there's a ton of people who are doing smart things in many different areas. You know, maybe you like being a vigilante on the street. Yo, there's vigilante groups you can join to beat people up. Maybe you like being a bit more, uh, you know, like uh, 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 you like raising money to help small businesses. Yo, there's organizations raising money to help the businesses in Chinatown. There's there's people trying to um, put, uh, as as Norm just mentioned, uh, educate kids. You know, there's people are doing stuff. Okay, so then let's talk solutions after the break because I have a sure. couple of questions of how I, non-Asian can be a part of this. I, this is so dope, Ronnie. I feel like the white women talking to black people. Like, I just want you to know <laughs> that I see you uh, and I am an ally. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. I can do. We're trying to get the Karens <laughs> on board, yeah. yeah. I'm black. I'm a Keith. I'm not a Keith. I'm a Keith. Beyond the scenes, we'll be right back. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away for murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, 
Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. When asked to name a prominent Asian American, uh, Norman, I have all the statistics here, man. This is very interesting. 42% of Americans couldn't do it. 11% named Jackie Chan. 9% Bruce Lee. 5% Lucy Liu. 2% Kamala Harris. And you brought up, uh, you know. Wait, hang on. What what percentage was, did they mention me? (laughs) Hang on. Let me zoom in. Probably statistically <laughs> insignificant. Yeah, <laughs> trick question. Trick question, Ronnie. You're not on the list. <laughs> next yeah. year, Ronnie. Next year will be no, a um, big number next let's, year. I'm sure let's next talk year. solutions on how I can get on that list. Eh? I want to be with the 42%. <laughs> now, Norman, you brought up something with regards to one solution that I think makes sense, which is education and the curriculum. You know, I grew up in Alabama, which is Mm. I grew up in Alabama public schools, late 80s, Mm. all of the 90s. And I say this not joking. I am not joking with you. I did not meet my first Asian person Mm. until the eighth grade. So in terms of these areas where a lot of this bigotry is happening Mm -hmm. and a lot of that bigotry is believed, there's not a lot of Asians there. And so... Mm. I know that there's definitely a role that the school system plays. And, you know, Ronnie, you talked about people being active within their own communities and connecting with the people. It's, it's crazy because you're basically saying the same thing that black people, the same thing we've been saying to white people. Find someone that's doing the work and show up and go, what can I do? Well, at the start, yeah, as a starting point, yeah, yeah. As a starting point, show up and, and vote and show up and, and get involved with the organizations that are doing things. because. Like I said before the break, there's a ton of organizations who are trying to help. And I'm in America by choice. I'm in America by choice because I think there's more good people there than bad people. Way more good people than bad people. And I I think the fact that we are talking about this, the fact that Norm did this study, it shows that there are people who who care, you know? There's... um those are kind of more of the grassroots, you know, solutions. Mm -hmm. But let's talk on the political side, Norman. Did the anti-Asian hate crime bill, the COVID-19 hate crimes act, is that enough from President Biden to help stop the swell of what you've seen happening in your community? 
No, I, I mean, I think most people would agree it's it's the tip of the iceberg of what needs to be done, but it's a positive step in the right direction. So, uh, you know, it helps to create more reporting channels for people to report the hate crimes. That's important. Um, there, it sets aside uh, money for education about racism towards Asian Americans. That's all important. But it's like the drug war. Like you got to start it, fight the war at the source, right? What's causing these hate crimes and what's leading to the stereotypes and the scapegoating and the violence? And so media mm -hmm. is very powerful. Hollywood, TV, movies. Um, the news is very powerful, right? In terms of how Asian American stories are reported. And so there are groups activating to try to get more coverage about Asian American stories. Uh, education, as we talked about, is extremely important to shape hearts and minds. Um, we were fortunate in terms of politically to be invited by Congressman Ted Liu to present to the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus and where we shared our data so that the legislators and the political leaders can have more information that they can use to fight their battles. And so that's one way we're trying to link with the legislators. You know, getting uh, Asian American history taught in schools, that requires legislation, right? And so it requires political activity. And so that is a very important channel to get things done as well. All right. So, Norman, there are certain crimes in this country that get more attention from the media than others. Crimes of a racial mm -hmm. nature. How much does the media play a role? And, and I, I, the example I want to use is the mass shootings at the Asian massage parlors in Atlanta. You have a gentleman who goes from parlor to parlor killing people, and I know that there was an element of sexual addiction that was a part of that, but that does not absolve race from also being a piece of the motive for those crimes. But not only does that not get turned into, well, did he kill him because of sexual shame, or did he kill him because they were Asian, or was it a little bit of both? They just stopped talking about it all together. So let me amplify your point uh, with a couple additional data points there, um, Roy. First of all, we did our study in uh, March, April of this year. And one of the regrets we had when we first did the study was, gosh, I wish we had done the study before the Atlanta killings, because then even more Americans would be unaware, right? We thought everyone would know about the anti-Asian American sentiment. Shockingly, again, 32% uh, of Americans, basically a third of Americans, say they're not aware of the increase in hate crimes towards Asian Americans in the past year. So I don't know where they're getting the information from, but clearly it's not, share, it's not re representing the hate crimes that are affecting women in Atlanta and other places. That's one data point. The second data point is I just was on at an event in the Bay Area with Dion Lim, who's a, a local uh, newscaster and really prominent activist in the Asian American community. And she says now that when she goes to her producers and has, you know, sometimes five or six anti-Asian American hate crime stories each day, they're saying, uh, you know, we're not, the public's not interested in these stories anymore, so we need to find something else to report on. So exactly yeah. to your point, these stories are getting buried. And so how do you solve these problems? I mean, these are systemic problems for sure. Uh, one area that a lot of people are focusing on, I think makes sense, is representation. How many of their producers or senior people at these media companies are Asian American and care about Asian American stories, right? I think that is critical, and I think that's an area where we have seen you know, significant underrepresentation of Asian Americans in leadership positions. One of the key statistics from our study was that half of Americans think that Asian Americans are actually well represented. They think, hey, model minority, we're smart, hardworking, <laughs> we must be successful, we must be leaders. Well, actually, we're 
50% underrepresented in terms of leadership positions, mm. in terms of Supreme Court justices, of which there are zero Asian Americans, in terms of the corporate world, in terms of the political world, in terms of owning uh, TV stations and movies, movie stations, et cetera. We are severely underrepresented, yet people are under the illusion that Asian Americans are well represented. So uh, I think representation is a key part of the puzzle. Uh, and only when you have leaders who appreciate and understand Asian, the Asian American experience and the black experience and the Hispanic experience, do we have real diversity and true, you know, accurate coverage of America. And so um, we're hoping that we'll see some changes in that area in the next few years as well. All right. I'll leave you gentlemen with this question. And um, I, I'll let Norman go first, because I know Ronnie and I are going to argue. How do we, Norman, get other minorities to understand that the Asian fight is also our fight? Mm. Because, and I'll just, and as a black person, I'm just going to be, you know, very blunt mm. with what some of the sentiment sure. is in other communities where it's okay, well, how do you get a anti Asian hate crime bill before us? We've been trying to get it. How do we get other groups? Because everybody is so insular. You know, Ronnie's very right in that regard in America, where everybody's just tending to their own farm. You know, I've got my problems to deal with. The Latinos, we're focused on our things. And how do we get other minorities to understand that if anybody can break through, it's good for everybody? Totally. Yeah, a lot of the issues that we identify apply to other racial groups and people of color. And so... One of our goals is much it's more outreach to other communities of color to reach out to the African-American black community and Hispanic Latino community. There is much more that we share in common in terms of our experience uh, in a, a white America that then that separates us. So outreach is, is critical. Um, we also believe that uh, working closely with these partners on initiatives such as diversity in the media such as fair representation are really critical. So um, yeah, I think it's it's a key part of the solution. And I say the onus is not just on, it's on both, on, on both sides of the equation, right? In our study, we found that, uh, that certain communities have less interaction with Asian Americans. And so they don't know Asian American culture. That's why they see them as others. So we need to build more bridges between these communities so that people can appreciate the Asian Americans, whom some people think are as cold and unfriendly and not warm. Well, they've never been to my house or Ronnie's house for a dinner party, right? They've never had time to hang out with our grandparents and our parents <laughs> and, and just really enjoy each other's company and, and have great Asian food together. We need to share that experience more uh, and let people know just you know how warm and dynamic our culture is. Uh, and also, again, break down these barriers. So I, I think at the micro level, interaction among different groups is really really critical that's how you just like you i mean you didn't maybe didn't meet an asian american until eighth grade but then once you get to know asian americans then you start to have a a more well-rounded uh, understanding of them and hopefully develop good friendships so ronnie how do you get me to care about your shit Go. <laughs> i don't mean asians i mean me as roy caring about ronnie's problems just your personal problems man you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, get you invested into my life, maybe give you a, some equity. 
Um, yeah, I should have listened to you about fucking shares. Bitcoin I, in 2015, I, I, but that's a separate conversation. <laughs> I mean, we we are pretty invested in each other's lives already. I think I think the community as a whole, you know, uh, someone put it to me really well once. I, look, I don't have the solutions, man. I tell jokes in bars for a living. I, I don't know how to save the world. What I do know is that, yeah, we we there's more good people than bad people in America, and that goes for minority groups there's more good minority group people goes without saying obviously than bad people um and when we join together on issues that we do agree on it increases our voting strength it creates a more powerful voting bloc because asian people are what four percent norm was it four percent seven seven percent 23 million strong right and what's the uh african-americans are what 13 13 Latinos well, hang on. Nick what? Cannon just had four more kids, so African Americans <laughs> are fourteen. Latinos are what? If you join all together, there's a voting block there. You know, there's a vo- stronger voting block, which which allows you. T- if we work together to get legislation passed, it it benefits all of us. You know, and nothing against white people too. We need white people to help out, and most white people are on board. But when you're, it's so hard to explain sometimes, and that's why only minorities get that, and that's why we should get along in America is because sometimes it's not that anyone is blatantly being evil. It's just that the system is set up in a way that you can't even begin to explain the issues you're having. How many times have you mm-hmm. gone into a room and been like, none of these people are even going to get what I'm saying. I'm, I'm talking about my, you know, Asian grandma on the streets who, does, you know, they don't understand what, you, you know, they, they're not going to get it. Whereas if you talk to Latino people or black people, they'll understand it more. And so if we can get more like-minded people in decision-making positions you know that's where kind of we can start moving the needle with change and that's why we should be joining together as a voting block you know that's yeah. my argument to you roy i mean you can also I'm turn your back on me as you always do and you no. know we can america will continue Don't on tell and these lies <laughs> I, you know what i view i view america as a dmv and everybody's in there for their own issue but the moment one person starts <laughs> complaining you need three other people to start complaining, and then that line of justice will move a little bit faster. <laughs> Norman Chin from Launch, thank you so much. Leading Asian American Unite for Change. Visit them online, launch.org. That's launch like the space shuttle with two A's, launch. Because I know I have a southern exactly. drawl, and you would think I said lunch. And I didn't say lunch. I said launch like a rocket, two A's.org. Norman, thank you so much for coming beyond the scenes with me. Thank you so much, Roy. Thank you, Ronnie. And Ronnie, I'll I'll see you whenever the whenever the fuck we're back in the office. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you, I'll see you soon, yeah. man. Good clean up your side, please. Okay. All right. That's it. Take care, everybody. Listen to the Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wanna go even further beyond the scenes? Check out the video version of Beyond the Scenes on The Daily Show's YouTube page. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now... In the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Garcella finally tells his story, and so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to the Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.